So, gents, we're upping the profile of guests for this week's show. We've got Liam Connolly coming on from Rover and Morris, who's one of the partners there. There are certain requirements that you have to have in place before you can serve a Section 21 notice, in particular Section 21. So you have to have done things like served an energy performance certificate, an electrical safety certificate, the house rent guide, the government's house rent guide um, book. Um, you would have had to, if you've received the deposit, you have to have registered it in the appropriate time periods and served on the tenant the statutory information they're supposed to receive. And if you haven't done any of those things, you are prohibited from, well, you're not prohibited, you can serve a section 21 notice, but it won't be valid. A solicitor firm across England, which are really well regarded, really well established. So I really appreciate Liam coming in to share his wisdom. Um, he is in disputes and litigation. So for landlords and future landlords out there, the reason why we've got Liam on is not to scare the life out of everyone, but to give everyone the foundations of security moving forward. So I'm absolutely looking forward to it. I know you guys have got some awesome questions lined up as well. Um, from your perspective, Tristan. What are we looking for? Uh, I think there's a lot of legislation changes and a lot of uncertainty from a lot of uh, landlords. So I think just going into a bit more detail of what the changes have been and how he sees it moving forward, just to reassure landlords, really, I think I'd be interested to find out the fine details. Definitely. And Mike, you've got some tailored quickfires. Speaking of tailoring, I've negotiated with him to take his tie off for the podcast. Um, and yet, yeah, the rest of the questions that we'll be asking really is to, to delve in with Liam, what's going on and where he sees it from, from his perspective. Yeah, brilliant stuff. I'm looking forward to this one. Shall we get him on? Bring Let's on. do it. Right, so following that intro, Liam, I'm here with Tristan, Mike and Liam Connolly from Robry Morris, who's a partner. Give us a little bit of a background into why you specifically got into that part of law. Great. Well, thanks firstly for inviting me. It's really, really great to be here. Um, it really goes back to my training days. So in 2006, when I got my training contract as a lawyer, I, um, I did a lot of property-based work. So beginning first with the conveyancing aspects of it, and I know how tricky that is from your side because yep. I've been there and I've done all of that. And I've sat till 9, 10 o'clock at night with my phone on, trying to get things through for people on a Friday. We wish there was more solicitors <laughs> and conveyances like that, to be honest. <laughs> and that transitioned right through to um, dispute resolution. Uh, so I'm a dispute resolution partner now, but when I first started a dispute resolution lawyer, we had a lot of um, commercial clients. So we had property developers. And we had people like that who had property problems and they came in many varied forms. So uh, not just uh, developers, but also landlords, people who had difficulties with their landlords, as, as commonly happens sometimes. So the whole, um, the whole spectrum, really, of land-related issues. So um, really experienced in that field. And it's just followed me ever since. I've, I've always had a really good following with it. And... Um, a really good record with it too so uh, yeah it's a real pleasure helping it's a minefield of, it's a minefield of legislation as well that particular area so I'd imagine every day is a different day every day is a different day and um, it's certainly over the last 18 months it has changed a lot good start well I'm sure everyone watching is going to get some good value from this and we've got some some good detailed questions which you'll answer the best you can obviously Absolutely. on camera so appreciate you joining us so the first question to kick it off with is uh, about legislation. Um, yeah. We've seen a lot of changes um, 
uh, over the years, but more so recently due to COVID. What's changed since COVID, such as notice periods, um, that landlords need to be aware of today? Um, Okay, well, the good news for landlords is that it is pretty much status quo now. It's back to how it was in the pre-pandemic situation. We saw a lot of change. Um, At the start of the pandemic, it was three months notice across the board for Section 21 and Section 8 notices, which are the types of notices that you've you've got to serve if you want to get your property back. Um, And then it moved to six months, which was an extraordinarily long period of time. And even if you were lucky enough to to get a a possession order, you couldn't enforce it because there was a blanket ban on enforcement of them. And I was in touch with the... um, uh, the bailiffs association on a fairly constant basis because they had knowledge and information as to when things might be changing or when they might not and they they didn't have a lot by way of update for us and um then it moved to four months and um until very recently it's, it's been four months um four weeks for section eight in some cases depending on the amount of rent that was due um, or instantly, if you're talking about certain scenarios where you can serve a Section 8 notice, um, situations where tenants are acting in a way that they, they probably shouldn't be. But the good news is it's status quo again now. So with a Section 8 notice, depending on your scenario, if it's arrears of rent or something like that, it's now two weeks. So you serve your notice, you wait two weeks. If the arrears are still outstanding, you can you can crack on and you can uh, you can initiate your claim if you have to. And Section 21 is two months now. So uh, back to how things were, which is good. Did you see a spike in cases when things were changing there with the six months and the four months? Was there a change in volume there or not really? Not a massive amount of change. Um, you had a lot of people who were reluctant and wondering what to do and whether we should act now or whether we should wait or what what should really happen. Mm. But my advice at the time really was get in the queue. Um, there is actually nothing to prevent you from serving your notice and then when the notice expires, provided you've done everything that you need to properly do, um, get in the queue, get the get the proceedings issued and, and press on. There was a, an anxiety, I think, in relation to how will I get possession when I get my order? So I'll get my possession order from the court, but what am I going to do to enforce that? Mm-hmm. And for a while, it was tricky. It, there was a lot. There were a lot of phone calls, um, as I say, to to, to the, the bailiffs' agencies and, and places like that, just to see what update they were getting, whether they had any idea about when we'd be able to to start trying to get properties uh, back again, trying to get possession. So. Um, yeah, it, it wasn't as bad as I think a lot of people were expecting. Some people might be experiencing a lot more by way of delay than others because mm-hmm. obviously a lot depends on the court that you're in. Some courts have more resources than others. Some are smaller, some are bigger, some have longer waiting lists for cases. And um, so there's a bit of luck of luck of the draw element to it. Do you think that's part of the support that the government were putting out with the furlough scheme extension and speeding up of universal credit meant that tenants were less likely to fall into arrears? And do you think that's something that's now going to unfold now furlough's been ended? It's possible. It's possible that it will. I I don't think we have necessarily seen much by way of a vast increase. I think the frustration with a lot of landlords was... A tenant has, for example, stopped paying rent 
and they know that they don't necessarily I'm not saying this is the case with every tenant but some people have been uh, quite canny and decided well there's no sanction for me mm-hmm. not to pay the rent now yeah. if for example you don't have much by way of material assets um, what's ultimately the worst that can happen to you if you decide you're not going to pay I mean ultimately a landlord is probably going to look at it in the grand scheme of things later and say is it worth my while when I get my possession order and my order for the arrears of rent is it worth my while pursuing this person and chucking good money after bad if there's no prospect of me getting that that money back so some people haven't some people haven't been particularly straight with it but um, yeah uh, it's it's something that's still evolving and you know maybe we still haven't seen the full impact of it yet maybe an increase of people who choose not to pay rather than can't pay that's always as a letting agency that's what we always warn our landlords it's not the people who can't pay it's the people who choose not to pay who become your problem yeah absolutely I suppose that brings me on to my next question really in that for a landlord that wants to serve notice to gain possession of their property what do they need in order to do that a landlord's got to start, I would think, by looking at all of the available options that are on the table for them. Um, so, generally speaking, it's going to be a Section 21 notice that you want to serve to get possession back, or it's going to be a Section 8 notice that you want to serve. Um, and it really depends on the circumstances of um, where you are at at that particular time Um, so there are certain requirements that you have to have in place before you can serve a section 21 notice in particular section 21 so you have to have done things like served an energy performance certificate an electrical safety certificate the how to rent guide the government's how to rent guide um, book Um, you would have had to if you've received a deposit you have to have registered it in the appropriate time periods and served on the tenant the statutory information they're supposed to receive and if you haven't done any of those things you are prohibited from well you're not prohibited you can serve a section 21 notice but it won't be valid so the worst case scenario that I sometimes see is someone deciding I'll do this all myself and I'll serve my notice and then I'll take it to court when they've not gone and it will take three to four months then to get to court possibly longer in the pandemic situation or post-pandemic situation and you get to the final hearing and the judge says did you do this this and this and the uh, landlord has to say well no I didn't and that's just the worst scenario because you find yourself then in a situation where a judge says, well, your Section 21 notice wasn't valid. So if you haven't served a valid notice, you can't have a possession order. And um, there's a pretty good argument you might have to pay the tenant's costs of the proceedings as well. So you've wasted, at that stage, two months by serving a notice that wasn't valid. A further four months on top of that of waiting to get to court. The costs, potentially, of it if the tenant has incurred any legal expenses... And you have to start the process again, which is galling for landlords. I think think it's crucial for landlords to ensure they're serving those documents. And that's why it's important to use an agency or at least be registered with someone where they get the knowledge or information to know what to serve. Because it's always changing. Obviously, how to rent rent guides come in, along with all the other documents to serve prior to the tenancy starting to the tenants in order to, to... 
to serve the Section 21 notice and so forth. Absolutely. So, I mean, it goes along my next question, to be honest with you. We sort of covered it, but just going into a bit more detail for those that don't know, if we go into a scenario situation, we've got one tenant that didn't serve the documents um, when the tenant moved in and they wanted possession back of the property. The second scenario being someone that did serve the documents, but they've expired or some of the documents have expired during that that wasn't renewed where do they stand in these situations and is there a way to still get possession what's the advice you can give on this if you haven't done anything whatsoever at the beginning you're in a really precarious situation and until recently the case law particularly in relation to um, the most relevant case at the moment is a case called uh, Tree Carroll House um, versus Rouncefield and it's a really important case and it relates to energy performance certificates. Now, in that case, not energy performance certificates, um, uh, electrical safety certificates, in that case, the landlord had not served or provided the tenant with an electrical safety certificate at the commencement of the tenancy, which is a statutory requirement under the Deregulation Act 2015. So you have to do that. If you, if you haven't done that, you can't serve a Section 21 notice. So... The landlord hadn't provided that at the commencement of the tenancy. And the decision at first instance in that case was, well, you haven't done it, so it's not a valid Section 21 notice, so you can't have possession of the property back. And the landlord really wanted to know what the scenario would be if he had tried to correct that situation later. So he hadn't provided it to the tenant at the outset, but he had done it later. And at first instance, the court said, well, no, you can't do that. You're not allowed. You're not allowed to validly serve a Section 21 notice. Sorry, your claim for possession has to fail. So the uh, landlord in that case appealed it, and it went all the way to the Court of Appeal. And the Court of Appeal decision, thankfully, and I would say some common sense to this, the court said, if you had an electrical safety certificate at the commencement of the tenancy, but you hadn't provided it to the tenant but you then later provided it to the tenant, your Section 21 notice will be valid and you're entitled to your possession order, which is a common sense breath of fresh air decision, I think, for all landlords because it removes the situation where you're completely snookered. But what it doesn't cover is a scenario, and what the court didn't consider, is the scenario where a landlord never had an electrical safety certificate at the beginning of the tenancy. And that position's still up in the air. So if there are landlords who have never had an electrical safety certificate at the commencement of a tenancy and haven't yet provided it to a tenant, it's it's unclear for them. They may not be able to validly serve a Section 21 notice. It hasn't been tested by the courts. I would like to think that the courts would adopt the decision in Tree Carroll and um, take a common sense approach to any cases coming through and provided that a, a, a property is safe and you have provided that safety certificate that they would follow that and um, they would allow uh, allow a landlord to, to take possession of their property because otherwise it creates a, a scenario where potentially a landlord is in a situation where he can't get his property back mm. which, would, which would seem to be obscene really and the same goes for energy performance certificates. There, there isn't a decided case at the moment to decide really well, what would the scenario be if you didn't have one at the time of um, at the time the tenancy was entered into. So that's untested, untested times. 
Yeah. Someone's going to spend a fair bit of money in legal fees to yeah. to be the case study for, for the others. Yeah, someone's yeah. going to have to be the test case for that. And, yeah. um, thankfully, none of my clients yet. Yeah. One, one thing that we find a lot on these podcasts when we talk to different experts in different fields is the best advice is to get the best advice. Absolutely. It's exactly the same scenario in that. The best advice is to get the best advice. Have that power team around you. Of the best advice is not to do this on your own. Mm. If you're a landlord, don't do it on your own. It's a you don't know what you don't know scenario. Always get professionals to help you with the with the processes and get someone like yourselves to advise them on well what do you need in place so that one day when you want this property back you're gonna be able to you're gonna have the best chance of being able to get it yeah. back. Yeah. And if you haven't done very simple things because the legislation changes constantly, um, you're in a situation where you know potentially you're going to spend a lot of money trying to do it. Yeah, absolutely. So going on to evictions then. So I've heard rumours during the lockdown periods when obviously regained possession of properties was on hold because of the, the lockdown COVID situation and possessions around them were taking when they could serve notice and sort of start the process of eviction could take up to 12 months and domestic violence was taking priority for these. What is the average timescale to get possession back of a property in a worst case scenario? And can you share some light on this? Um, it's a difficult situation now because of COVID and, and coming out of of the COVID situation that we've had, it's re- it's really a how long is a piece of string question sometimes because, as I said before, it can depend on the court that you're in. Mm. It can be- depend on what the the court resources are, whether there are judges available, um, uh, what as I say, what judicial availability there is, um, and uh, smaller courts tend to have less resources. Um, it, it's it's tricky. It's tricky to know. Really, it comes down to well, when can a court list this to be heard, and um, will the judge be available on the day? I've had scenarios where I've been contacted a day or so before a hearing, or even the day before a hearing, to say, "I'm sorry, the hearing can't proceed because of judicial availability," um, which is a, a really it's an unfair situation for a lot of landlords who are mm. pinning their hopes sometimes on being able to get possession back as soon as they can because they've got their own financial commitments. They're relying on things like rent to, from tenants to be able to, to pay mortgages on these properties sometimes. And, um, yeah, it's difficult. If I were to give sort of a broad time frame, a rough average on how long it, it, it takes for, for someone like me to get possession back, the first thing, you've got to take it all into consideration. So notice is important to begin with first. How long is your notice period going to be? Um, if you've got, in some scenarios with Section 8, for example, you can serve a notice and the notice can expire immediately. So if you've got someone um, who's acting in a way that a, a, a tenant perhaps shouldn't, so they're disturbing the neighbourhood and um, they're causing trouble to other uh, tenants and other people nearby, there are provisions um, in the Housing Act 1988, uh, Schedule 2, that you can rely on in your Section 8 notice, I think it's Ground 14, uh, where you can serve your notice and you can bring a possession claim almost immediately, in which case then it's just the court time that you've got to worry about. And I would say to get a hearing these days, it's probably anything between two and four months to get your hearing. And then the typical order will be 
you have to give possession within 14 days. It can be longer. It can be anything up to six weeks. Um, but typically a judge will say possession within 14 days. And then if the tenant doesn't go, it's a whole new can of worms in terms of, well, how available are bailiffs to, to attend the property and remove people? But um, those are the sorts of timeframes that you're looking at. Obviously, the notice period is a bit flexible because if you're relying on Section 21, it'd be two months. If you're relying on a different ground, it could be two weeks. It's it's a movable feast, but that's those are sort of the sort of rough timeframes you're looking at. So it depends on the ground, really, of what you're serving notice for, the court that it's being issued by, like you said, resources, and it can fluctuate depending on circumstances. Loads of variables, yeah. Okay, so the best, best advice really be is to seek advice and, and hopefully... You're in a best, best case scenario. Seek advice and um, make sure that you, as I say, using guys like yourselves to to really do a, a, a good look into and, and check out the, the people that you're renting to um, before you do it. Lots of people don't. And um, it, it's sad to see it unfold when you, you're taking a punt on somebody without really checking anything into their background and whether they're suitable for the property. Um, so, yeah, it, always take advice. And is there any way to fast track the eviction process at all? And if so, how? Yeah, there is a fast track process. Um, the fast track process only relates to Section 21 notices. So if you're having to rely on purely rent arrears or um, Section 8 grounds, then the fast track process doesn't exist for you. And basically, the fast track process is where um, your application, if you're relying on Section 21, you use the fast track. Um, court process and it's dealt with on paper so there shouldn't have to be a hearing a judge will look at it you will have filed with the claim all of the supporting documents energy performance certificates gas safety certificates the how to rent guide that you served evidence that you've done all of those things and if you can paint for the judge a picture that you have done everything that you need to do that's required by statute and this is a properly compliant uh, letting then a, a judge will nine times out of ten grant possession without having to have a hearing, in which case you save a little bit of time in that process. All I would say, I suppose, is to be a little bit cautious um, in terms of does it make a difference in terms of time. Uh, if you've got an option to use Section 21 or Section 8, um, OK, it might be an accelerated process, um, not requiring a hearing but if you're serving a section 21 notice and you've got to wait two months before you commence, commence your claim as against a section 8 ground where you can go two weeks after serving it it's going to be quicker to do that than it is to follow the accelerated process Perfect and the, the last uh, question I have is more of a scenario case and it's more referring to uh, rent arrears obviously there's a lot of cases of arrears at the moment and people that choose not to pay rather than having not having the option to pay. But say, for example, a landlord's gone through the possession um, uh, to take the property, take back possession of the property. Tenants left, but they've got six, 12 months worth of arrears potentially, so quite a lot of money uh, owed to them. How do they go around getting their money back from what they're owed? Is there a way around this? And what do you advise in, in that case? There are loads of options that are available in terms of enforcement of judgments. So if you've got a possession claim, typically uh, the possession order that you get will have with it an order for the arrears of rent. So you would typically tie the two things in together. You'd say, I want an order for possession, but I want my arrears as well. And you would do that in every case. Um, 
even if you don't think you're going to get prospect and your prospects of getting the money back are good, there's no harm in asking for it and, and getting that order from the court to say, I'm on my arrears. It can be a tricky situation if your tenant is in effect made of straw. They don't have any, they don't have any assets. Um, they don't really have much behind them. My advice to most landlords would be either wait and see if the, the situation improves later, where you can recover the arrears down the line, or simply don't throw good money after bad. It would be a really easy scenario to. Um, already be in a bad situation where you've got a tenant who's incurred significant arrears and then carry on chasing that rabbit down the hole and find that you spent a whole lot more money in a situation where you just can't get it back. The better thing to do, probably, is to relet the property and focus your energies on that and you know, making making good on some of the, the losses that you've incurred. But if you've got a tenant where you think they they do have something by way of assets behind them there are lots of options so you could look at bailiffs wherever they end up wherever they land in future you could you could think about appointing bailiffs to attend their property to try to enforce on on goods that they have vehicles things like that um if you know what their account details are or who they bank with you can potentially get a freezing injunction against a bank account to release the funds in that way if you don't think there's very much by way of assets in their bank you can look at attachment of earnings so if they're in paid employment you can get an order from the court that the employer pays a sum of money to you every month from their earnings until your judgment is satisfied so those are some of the options but probably the best um, cure in the whole thing is, is prevention so have a good agent really look at the situation take references for the tenant um, and ensure that this person that you're putting in your property, and not all landowners and landlords have a vast empire of properties. Sometimes it's a retire, sometimes it's retirement income, sometimes it's the biggest investment that they have. So if it's the biggest investment that you've got, it's worth investing the money up front and having it done properly by a proper, reputable agent who can make sure that, that you're putting the right person in that property. Yeah, 100%. And if we've just scared the absolute bejesus out of someone that's thinking of becoming a landlord, this is obviously a very small minority of, of scenarios. Um, but the advice from the outset that, that you've just given there to a lot of landlords, I think will probably structure people's thought process moving forward and all their new lets in a probably different and more secure way, which is which is why we've done the podcast and why we appreciate you coming on. Um, Mike is um, looking exceptionally smart now because he knew that there was a, a lawyer coming in. He's done the top button. Done the top button, especially. <laughs> and the, he's, got, he's got some quick fires. <laughs> so three quick fire questions. You're a property lawyer rather than a property market expert, so I've tailored them slightly for you this week. So, you know, that's the first time I've ever changed my questions. So please do feel the love in the room for doing that. Um, from your point of view, what happens next legally for rental markets, landlords and tenants? I think at the moment, it's pretty much going to be status quo for a while. There has been a lot of talk about, well, are we going to abolish Section 21 and what's going to happen uh, when that when that occurs and there's been a lot of talk about that and there's been a lot of consultation I think it's been going on since 2019 but we're yet to see anything happen 
I think when they first started talking about it in 2019, it was with a view to something happening in autumn of 2021, and we're still not there yet. So I still haven't seen any evidence that anything is necessarily going to change. But even if it did change, and even if we did abolish Section 21, I don't foresee a situation where you're going to have a scenario where it's impossible for a landlord to get their property back. I just think they'll probably widen the scope of Section 8. There'll be something in place that allows you to legitimately get your property back. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be it would be a daft scenario to have a, a situation where you've got landowners who, for whatever reason, can't deal with their own land. And there are hundreds of reasons for doing that. Um, they're not all um, necessarily because you're an evil landlord and you want a tenant out. Sometimes you just want to deal with your property mm-hmm. for some good reason and I can't see them closing the door on that. Mike talks about that a lot because there is this kind of sort of false persona of what a landlord actually is and in reality especially around the home counties where we are often it's an accidental landlord or it's someone that's let a property to purchase another and they've kind of fallen into it so um, yeah it's definitely a case of knowing the right advice having the right people around you and and information like that be interesting to see how things change over the coming years obviously focus might be elsewhere at the moment with everything that's gone on so we'll see what's next yeah absolutely one question which i won't change (laughs) if you were to invest in the perfect property deal tomorrow what would it look like to you personally i am sensible enough to know what i don't know so i would take uh, not legal advice but i would take advice i would take advice from people who know the market who know what they're doing, I'd have in mind what I'm spending and the reasons why I'm doing it. So what what am I trying to achieve from it? And um, I would definitely engage with it in that way. I don't think I would just... Because uh, I come across quite a lot of people who make really bad choices and really bad decisions. So quite a lot of landlords that I come across buy a property because they think it's a good idea um, without very much regard to where they're buying it or what they're going to do with it when they've got it, or who's going to go in there, what they're going to charge in terms of rent. Those are all really bad decisions, and quite often you get people who buy a property in the wrong location, um, and they either can't find someone to put in it, or they put the wrong person in it, because the wrong person for that particular place sounds terrible when I say the wrong person. What I mean when I say the wrong person is someone who doesn't perhaps have the means, the disposable income, and to achieve what the landlord is setting out to achieve at the beginning. So if the landlord has in their mind, I want to make uh, X amount of money out of my investment, if it's completely unrealistic for the property you bought and the area you're buying it in, um, that's a bad investment decision. So you need to really take good, sound advice uh, in terms of what, what, am I, what are my objectives here? What am I going to What am I going to achieve from this? Am yeah. I picking the right things? Am I making smart choices? It's, it's sensible because I think when you look at, I don't know, investing in stocks and shares or something, you've got kind of high risk and low risk. And it's probably as simple as that when you're putting your money into, into the stock market. With property, more often than not, high risk is inconvenience yeah. tied in with the two because there's a lot of work to do with it. And low risk is very convenient. So it's working out on the spectrum of which which end you want to go, high risk and inconvenient or low risk and very convenient. And it sounds to me it would probably be 
less of a risk and, and more of a convenience for the lifestyle that, that you live, which is quite a common answer that we've, we find on this podcast. I think if you also put someone who uh, spends their time working within dispute resolution, they're going to also know the worst case scenarios for every scenario that's ever come. So that's going to bring its own conservative nature to, uh, to doing it for themselves as well. Um, last question. I'm going to turn it on its head, actually. We talk about landlords a lot. The title is the landlord page. What's the best advice you would give a tenant who was having an issue with their landlord? Because from my point of view as a letting agent, there's as many bad landlords as there are tenants. Yeah, communicate. It's all about communication. Um, the worst thing you can do is say nothing at all and grin and bear it and um, basically not have a voice. You have to you have to say something to your landlord. If something's not right... Um, you have to speak up about it. And nine times out of ten, most people in this country, landlord or tenant, will want to try to find a way to resolve a problem without involving people like me um, or courts. They just want a, a resolution. Nine, nine times out of ten, a landlord just wants to rent a property to a tenant, the tenant to enjoy the property peacefully and quietly, but pay their rent. And um, that's exactly the same objective that a tenant would want. They just want to enjoy the property and largely be left alone. Um, so if there are problems, they, they definitely do need to speak about it first. It's a different scenario if you can't get a solution to your issue, then you probably need to know what your legal rights are. And depending on what the problem is, um, you may have a remedy, you may not have a remedy, but it's always sensible to, to, to then take advice. Makes total sense. And I think... Um from my point of view, I've learned a lot there. I think our watchers and our listeners will have taken a lot of good, good, valuable advice there where hopefully stops them making the wrong decisions down the line um, if, if thought comes to it. And I'm just thinking back to last week where we saw a, uh, a WhatsApp from a landlord saying, don't worry, I'm going to do it all on my own and sent a WH Smith tenancy agreement to us for nine ninety nine. And I'm just thinking back that maybe we might send the link to the podcast then just so that they've got their right advice, even if they don't use us. Um, but really appreciate your time coming on. Thank and you. Um, if people want to get in contact with Rover Morris or yourself, best to jump on the website, would you say? Drop yeah, you an email? Jump on the website uh, or drop me an email. The links are all there. So my profile's obviously on the website. Link to my email. Yeah, jump on that. Brilliant stuff. Thank you for your time. Lovely, thank you. Thank you. So, Liam's gone. That was an awesome podcast, and I'm hoping people watching that are in property now or going to be in property, they're not scared by it, but they've actually just levelled up their wisdom and knowledge of what they need to know from being a landlord and the importance of certain aspects. But um, any takeaways, Tristan, from your perspective? Yeah, definitely. And just going back on what you said there, I think it's important for landlords to know what potentially can happen in a worst case scenario but we don't see it often it's just there to reassure people of the, the mm. processes of that I mean for me the biggest takeaway was even as a property um, lawyer he was still using an agent to go through the whole process and manage his property and uh, I think that says a lot um, yeah. from my perspective 100% it's a powerful statement that someone with that level of wisdom and knowledge in that area would still see the advice of people much like ourselves um invaluable when it comes to to investing in property yourself Mike yes I mean it's interesting for me to see that his world has been turned upside down with Covid as every rule changed um, for him it's interesting to see where they are now 
um, as the world has effectively returned to normal. But within that, he didn't really see a massive change um, that the people he was defending his clients against were the same types of people, those who choose not to pay rather than those who can't pay. So there was one thing that just carried on throughout. Yeah, absolutely. And I found that he kept reaffirming the importance of doing it right from the beginning, from the beginning of the tenancy agreement or even just prior to the start of the tenancy agreement and how much it could potentially cost a landlord by not doing right by the tenant, which is what that's all about. It's not about getting away with anything. It's doing right by the tenant um, from the outset can have a huge impact down the line if something was to go wrong. So some powerful information and advice there. And as always, for everyone watching, we appreciate obviously listening, watching, whatever platform you're on. Um, make sure you subscribe to the channels if you want to check out on next week's. Obviously, we do these for the landlord community, the property investor community, so they can take value. We don't ask for anything in return other than just to potentially recommend it to someone you know that you think is going to take value from it and if you've got a guest that you want on there or particular part of the industry that you want to see a specialist in comment let us know and obviously we'll do our best to get them on but uh mike tristan another podcast in the bank really enjoyed it i'm flicking through youtube and through spotify i don't think there's a podcast or a video channel on youtube that landlords can land on where they're not being sold something. I mean, it'd be the first time any estate agents ever asked that question, but why not ask that question to a wider audience? They agents have the knowledge there, but they don't seem to share it. You can do different episodes based around someone that wants an exit plan or someone that's just starting their portfolio. The rules change every year. Yeah. But why not just open the floor out and just say, well, is property even the best investment out there? And tax advice is a big thing, especially with everything that's changed, capital yeah. gains tax, and obviously your stamp duty costs that you need to pay and whatnot. People don't realise what they need to prepare for. We build a podcast, and we build a YouTube channel, somewhere that landlords can go and they feel they're not being sold to, but they're just getting quality advice.
doesn't exist for you. 